Never turn your back on fear. It should always be in front of you, like a thing that might have to be killed. Hunter S. Thompson. I'm Heath Armstrong, and this is Never Stop Motherfucking Peeking. It's depressing like a dimple on your butt. If you behave, you'll get a nickel you can spend on stuff. And in time, you'll get a dime if you impress your boss. So you can buy some more stuff just to numb your thoughts. You've been a space-driven higgity hunk of me since birth. Flying through the universe on a rock called Earth. Composed of stardust with an emotional gut. Why you letting conformity slam you up the butt? You're not one fucks, two fucks, red fucks, blue fucks. You can play duck hunt and wait around for luck. Or you can rent a big truck and drive your vision. Build a palace to the moon while your schmuck friends piss their pants Get up and dance, rocket ship that booty Take a chance for your freedom, make it milk that booby Cause when the fear attacks, it tries to crack what you're thinking Fuck no, you'll never stop peeking You have... Unlimited potential to attract all of the, the goodies, all of the juice, all of the sweet nectar, breast milk from the Mother Earth that you ever dreamed of into your life. And the opportunity is really so fucking big that it's scary. Our powers are beyond our comprehension, so we create securities, we create blocks, we, we, we create obstacles to give us a, a greater sense of control. As humans, we want, we want to control things. We're taught to try to control things. We're in charge of everything. Every limitation that you experience is there because you allow it to exist. There is a comfort in not pushing yourself to be all that you can be in those directions that scare you the most, that freak you out the most, that hang that little apple upon the tree. And says, come up here and lick me if you dare. Bite me if you dare. There's a lot of fear there. It scares you. Because you know how fucking exciting it is. Mystery drives your curiosity because you know it's something that you don't know. You want to explore. You want something, right? And what is it that you want? Because everything that you've ever wanted, it also wants you. But have you? And will you? And will you continue to allow the meeting of that magic? As Sarah Seidelman always says, and I repeat this all the time, how good are you willing to let it get? As one of my great spiritual teachers, Tot Eric says... Pray rain. Don't pray for rain. Remove the space that's in between you and this idea of what you want to become. This idea of all the beautiful, magical things you want to bring in your life. You got to fucking beat that space out. You got to become one with it and realize that all of this starts internally. How willing are you to take action? How willing are you to to do the things that seem so fucking hard and painful? To feel into your your hurts, the stuff that makes you anxious, the stuff that makes you want to scream and rip your fucking hair out and punch holes in the walls. 
Like you can sit outside all you want all day long with your face in the sun smiling and thinking how everything's perfect. And that's great because really things are beautiful. The earth is beautiful. But that's never going to allow you to cover up all of the things that are hiding inside of you that you've been storing and suppressing deep down, whether you know it's there or not. The only way to release those things is by feeling into them, feeling the anger, having the uncomfortable conversations, looking at yourself naked in the mirror and crying and then turning that pouring of tears into a smile and then into love. And then into extended love that you can take out into the world. I'm not saying that you should look at yourself in the mirror and cry and then go run out in the world butt naked. But if you want to, I'm not saying not to either. There was someone, her name was Sandra LaMargese. Any of you who have been listening for a long time might have remembered her. Uh, Had her come in and talk a few times in groups. She was on the podcast She was this amazing holistic practitioner who gave up her entire career to become a dominatrix, to explore all of the things that made her most excited and most uncomfortable at the same time. To release all of her control by learning about how control works with other people being involved. And she came into the call one time and she talked about how this one time she was playing her part And she put a match inside some dude's dick hole and she lit it on fire. (laughs) And he started wigging the fuck out. But she knew that she couldn't break character and blow that match out because it would allow her fears and her resistance to win. She had to carry through with the part because she, she committed to it. She committed to this exploration of the unknown, this mystery of what it's like to be in that realm, on that dark side. Did the match burn the man's pee-pee? Did it make him scream and squeeze his butt cheeks in pain and misery? If it did, he needed to go through that process. He needed to feel it. He needed to release it. Luckily, I hope that never happens to any man or anybody in any way. But she was able to share with us that he did, in fact, wiggle his way down to his little willy and, and blow that flame out in time. The universe worked itself out. <laughs> Which is what I'm going to get into a lot today with, with Rachel's story of Grateful Gypsies, which I've been... Ob- it's so weird in this conversation because there are so many places that we mentioned, like concerts and things, where we were actually at the same place over a large span of years over 12 years, I mean, from this point and into the past. And we were in and out of the same friend group, so it never actually came across each other. And then realized recently, within the past couple of years, that we were both members of the same online forum, Location Indie, which is one of the places that I got started learning how to be location independent and create businesses that allowed me to travel the world and, and be who I am and to explore this deep creativity within me. And she was going through the same thing through Location Indie. And now her and her partner, partner Sasha, have created this amazing thing called Grateful Gypsies, which has really been something that they started as a seed 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And they had no idea what it would turn into. It was just leaning into the uncomfortable and making a commitment to being something and following something that excited them, 
that piqued their curiosity, which led them to living in China and, and teaching English to children there. And then all of these different kind of odd jobs along the way to build out and finally realize that their passion really was in the exploration of the unknown mystery of the universe and world travel, meeting new people, intertwining with new cultures. And by trusting that and flowing within it, an opportunity presented itself to help other people learn how to teach English online, which would then allow them to create a foundational life that would allow them to travel, essentially, to work anywhere in the world while uh, traveling and making a, a living for themselves. So this, this project has evolved from, from not knowing any, having any fucking idea how it was going to unfold for them to having this amazing blog called gratefulgypsies.com where they share so much wisdom about their journey in some of the more raw ways on the internet. And unlike most places, they offer free resources to help anyone who's interested in the nomadic lifestyle of learning how to start. I mean, I think one of the biggest issues is how do I make money if I'm going to travel the world when I have this, you know, nine to five job or whatever. And of course, teaching English is one of them if you're an English speaker and you can also do this with other languages. But they have a free masterclass if you go to gratefulgypsies.com. It is linked in this Show note, if you scroll down towards your private party parts, uh, that direction south, uh, and as long as your, your private party parts don't get in the way of your phone, which may not be the case for all of you, but for some of you, I imagine it's quite, you know, it's bulging out there a little bit, or it's swelling a little bit, or it's a little bit wet, and it's soaking out the floor and the vision. You know, there's a lot of exciting things going on that might be uh, getting you all worked up, all hot and bothered, you know what I mean? And... Uh, if you want these resources and you know that you want to explore the unknown and you're sick of waking up every morning and, and walking out your front door and seeing maskless, masked maniacs fighting maskless, maskless maniacs in your front lawn with, with rubber band guns and, and plastic baseball bats and like beating each other until one person falls down. And then that person is kind of laying in the grass, getting hit with a plastic baseball bat, which essentially starts at the head and then works its way down closer and closer to the waistline in which the legs actually start to open a little bit for some reason when getting slapped at the waistline. And then all of a sudden the slapping is actually happening in those private party parts. And it turns from being this thing that you think is actually painful and chaotic into this state of absolute bliss and, and kink and orgasmic explosions. And you realize that these people that were fighting the whole time actually deeply love each other. And they're doing some sort of uh, kinky, erotic exploration in your front yard. And it's, it's a reminder that you should actually be out exploring and being kinky yourself around the world. And if you're in that that zone and you've gotten to that point in your life, maybe maybe you do it by teaching English. Maybe you do it by learning how to become a digital nomad. So if you go to gratefulgypsies.com, click the free resources button, it's front and center. Uh, you can get free training on all of these things. And it's really in-depth stuff. You can learn how to live abroad and travel the world as an online English teacher. And... If you want to just become location independent, they have a roadmap to guide you through how to do that as well. I wish I had that in 2014 when I was trying to figure it out myself by not figuring it out at all, right? 
and it's all free. All this stuff is really free. That's what's great about Rachel and Sasha and um, authentic. I, I, I think a lot of the same thoughts probably as they do. Uh, Rachel seems to have that sort of constant stimulating creative mind where she's all over the place, which can be a blessing and a curse. And our conversation is really good. We go through her entire story of, well, it's funny that her last name is Story and she's living this storyful life. But we go through her story of development and how it, it all started <laughs> just with not knowing anything and going to music festivals and thinking that she was going to work with the in the industry in a, a management type position of some format and with her college degree and all of these things. And then meeting Sasha at um, a music festival and, and then him talking about how he's moving to China and like all of this unknown stuff that was happening. Like, why the fuck would you want to go to China? And you can listen to all of this in the interview. So I'm going to cut into it very soon. Um, but yeah, at grateful gypsies on Instagram and the social media platforms, those links will also be there. Go to heatharmstrong.com to get all these show notes. I'm putting up a new website very soon. I'm excited about for my personal site. Also for the rage create site, which is great. It's great because the other one seemed a little bit uh, like a giant glob of semen running down a window and making it all blurry so no one could really find what they're looking for. Uh, I don't know what happened, but I'm finding a lot of clarity in the past couple weeks, months, and it's creative and I'm excited to share a lot of new stuff with with all of you. And yeah, whatever you're, whatever you're doing, whatever you're feeling, thank you for being here. Honor your creativity. Honor yourself. Just keep fucking raging. Get your knuckles bloody. Get out there and, and do the shit that you think you can't do. Climb the fucking tree. Swing the dick. Kick the ball. Flick the nipple. Shoot the rubber band gun. Get the plastic baseball bat out and start slapping somebody's private party parts in the front yard. The only way that some kinky cosmic explosions will unfold in your life. Again, I'm Heath Armstrong. This has never stopped peaking. Let's hit some tunes. And then we will get into the episode with Rachel's story of Grateful Gypsies. Ta-ta. Come on, everybody, let me hear that beat. Come on, come on, everybody, let me hear that stinkity, stinkity, rickety, dinkity beat. Ooh, yeah, yeah.
Where are you? Puerto Vallarta. Ah, oh, no so, way. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. It's I was just beautiful. having a conversation with a girl in a park earlier about Mexico and how oh. vibrant it is. Yeah. And how I wished I was down there. Where are you? <laughs> Asheville. Oh, that's not a bad place to be. No, I'm building out the van, so it's Asheville been my priority. Nashville. Nashville. Oh, got it. Well, that's not as good as Asheville, but it's still no. cool. <laughs> I was in Asheville uh, in February. But oh, nice. Yeah, my dad has a farm about an hour from Nashville, and he's got a giant pole barn with all these insanely unnecessary tools that come in really handy when you're mm -hmm. building out a van. <laughs> So. That's hey, that's what you need. Yeah. So I'm excited to connect. Yeah, me too. It's been far too long. I was just gonna say I've been enjoying watching your van build on social media. It's really coming along. Sasha and it's I have flirted with the idea of van life, but haven't taken Did you time. travel in one a little bit though at, at some point? Not I feel like I've really. seen pictures of you at least like hanging out in a van or something. I mean, yeah, we take pictures of ourselves when we find them. <laughs> <laughs> like when we find a VW bus, we jump in and take a couple of pictures because like it fits our logo. But no, yeah. we've never had one of our own. Like the grateful painted VW buses, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I it's been a good project. It's been a one of those exploratory. I mean, as you know, as someone who's a world explorer and and constantly or you've got wandering feet and a wandering mind it's it's another one of those things in a micro way because it's i show up and i have no idea what i'm doing to begin with and then you just start and you explore it and then you figure you things out and yeah and then it comes to life and then you're having the experience and it changes the rest of your life and it's like yeah it's a pretty cool process for sure totally yeah no more mindless dribble just just a lot of uh acceleration in the right areas give it up for mindless dribble though well cool i i'm excited to talk to you and connect we have some mutual friends which has been interesting because we mm -hmm. actually you and i are in a very different world but we cross the same bridges with those old mutual friends in the mm -hmm. music scene or obviously I, I went to college with with cambalonius and he is a man with the biggest bulge in the world. If anyone doesn't know, if you <laughs> stare long enough at his pant line, some might argue that Mikko Karshavsky has the biggest bulge in the world, but I would say Cambalonius does. Okay. Um, and if, if you haven't noticed that, then you're really not, well, you need I to haven't... practice meditation <laughs> and awareness principles. Okay. Okay. I'll work on that. <laughs> but I haven't been with them at the same time. So it's hard to really make a comparison. Damn, really? Yeah. Well, the bulge really does kind of bulge out when Jenny's around. So <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. <laughs> I normally see them together. So yeah, but I'm, I'm, I've been longing for this conversation for a long time because there's so much I don't know about you and I want to learn. And this is just kind of free flowing, but I know you've been traveling a lot longer than me. And just like looking at your adventures, it seems like you've probably been traveling since, I mean, years go by quick, but I made a transition. And the only, the first time I ever went out of the country was when I was 28, which was like 2015 or okay. 14 or something. And it seems like 
you've really built this thing. Like you, you're, you were there when I started making transitions, like as an inspirational group, you and Sasha, like you were out teaching language to get by, to make money. You have a, a gratefulgypsies.com, which I'll link in the show notes for anyone who wants to check it out. But like, I look at all the things that you're doing and I'm like, I, I'm so curious about the, the building blocks of how you kind of came into all making that shit work because it's so hard. Like it's, it's so easy hard. for us to look at uh, the internet world and be like, Oh, you can travel and make money online. But it's like, it's not the uncomfortableness and the pain and like the confusion and the, a lot of scary situations that can happen when you're traveling and trying to make ends meet. Um, totally. So just from like my curiosity level, how, like, did, were your parents gypsyish? Did, did, did uh, you grow up with sort of a travel vibe? Did you have to discover that yourself? And did it come through music festivals? Like it kind of did for me, that kind of like opened me up to culture and wanting to travel more. But um, yeah, I'd be interested to hear that first. Sure. Um, well, to answer your first question, no, my parents aren't really gypsy, gypsy-ish. My <laughs> My mom moved to my hometown when she got married to my dad, and my dad has always lived there, as well as my dad's side of the family. Um, but growing up, I wasn't really a stranger to travel or like moving around, not in like an international sense, but my, we would always travel to my mom's parents uh, for holidays, and that was always a three-hour drive. So I, from a very young age, was just used to spending a lot of time in a car over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go was literally my every Christmas uh, and Thanksgiving and Easter and several Similar. times throughout the summer. Yeah. I can so, relate. Um, but like my, I'm from Johnson City, Tennessee. You may oh, have yeah. heard it. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know you were from Tennessee. I guess that makes really? sense too. Yeah, you're from oh, Johnson wow, that's yeah, funny. Yeah, my uh, granddaddy on my dad's side used to call me Rachel Lee from Tennessee. Oh, <laughs> I grew up in Knoxville, so it's like super close. Yeah, like my little sister went to East Tennessee State, which is in oh, Johnson nice. City. Yeah, that's yeah. in Johnson City. So yeah, that's where I grew up. Have you been there? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. so you know how small it is. I know. <laughs> and you know that there's very little to do there. Very little stimulation for someone like me who gets bored really easily and always needs something to do. Yeah. So also from a very young age, I was constantly telling my mom that I was going to live in a big city someday. Um, but I don't know. I think maybe when I got to like 18, I kind of got cold feet and wanted to go somewhere even smaller. And I went to university in Boone at Appalachian State. Nice. Um, so not necessarily some, for the some hippie side, vibes going on there, right? But for the vibes, totally. That's exactly why I went there. Uh, I, we used to drive through Boone to get through my grandparents' house, and I don't think I realized there was a university there until it was about time for me to go to university. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I noticed that there was this really awesome-looking school there. So I went to check it out, and all I could see was dreadlocks and Birkenstocks. And I was like, yes, this is the place for me. <laughs> That's so funny. Like, yes, this is home. The problem was that it was out of state. Out of state tuition is really expensive. So I had to find a really good reason to go there. Um, I did music my entire life. So I always knew that I would study something to do with music. I started playing piano when I was six. I started playing trumpet when I was 11 and I was in marching band all four years play? of high school. 
I mean, no, those instruments are kind of hard to travel with. Yeah. Um, well. If I ever get to a point where I feel settled, I'm definitely down to pick them up again. But right now, just kind of given our nomadic lifestyle, it doesn't really yeah. work. Yeah, because you're ultra nomads. I mean, you're, you're legit, like constantly on the go, it seems like. Yeah. Which is cool. You have to Usual. be very minimal when you do that. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, school at Appalachian State, then graduated. I ended up, oh, so back to the reason, my reason for going there was music therapy. That was the one music related major that was not available at any school in Tennessee. Um, so I went with that for my freshman year, realized very quickly that was not for me, but they did offer music industry studies at App State. So I went to that because not only was I super interested in it, but it was a really good way to get my parents to give me extra money to see live music because I was doing <laughs> industry research. Sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> so you could get out there and run like a fucking antelope out of control, huh? Exactly, out of control. Um, but the thing about Boone is that all the music comes there. I don't know if it still does, but it used to. All of the music came there. There's this really awesome student-run venue on campus. So I never even had to travel to see music. But I started doing that my senior year of college. Um, and that's kind of where I got like my tour feet uh, was traveling. What year was that? Biscuits. That was 2008. Oh, we're in the same age. I just turned 35. Yeah, I'm 35. Oh, sweet. <laughs> yeah, so that's a secret. Mm -hmm, totally. It's like biscuits back then. Whoa. Oh Fire. my god. 2007 gosh. run. Fuck. Uh, that yeah. the first like run that I ever traveled for was the four hour tour where they played like uh, Charlotte, Atlanta, um, Asheville. Yeah. They played Asheville on yeah. 420. I, I was there. Yeah. Um, cool. For anybody listening who has no idea what we're talking about, I'm going to blow <laughs> your fucking mind someday, man. Yeah. To the biscuits. I'll just rage like a 20 minute space bird song throughout this podcast and then wait till Barbara slaps my hand down to have it removed. <laughs> I don't think Barbara would be the one to do that. Unfortunately, I think that'd probably be Brownie. You know, I, I did just a note for anyone listening when I, before, I, I tried 17 different jobs and failed three businesses before I got something that worked on my own. Um, and there was a point when I was <laughs> being very obsessed with the disco biscuits, I was creating these posts, these disco biscuits posters and selling them on eBay to try to make money so that I could sustain like traveling and going to music festivals. So you never know how far it can uh, progress, but those little entrepreneurial pursuits got, yeah, I got notice like copyright notices from the band and they were oh, wow. removed off, <laughs> off of oh, me. No. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Pretty oh, awesome. Man, you tried. But the, the downside, many years later, I do have a picture of Barber holding one of my affirmation cards at Burning Man. So that's cool. Nice. Somebody sent it to me. Yeah. Vantine. Do you know Vantine? Awesome. What's that? Do you know John Vantine? Doesn't yeah, ring a bell. He's one of Campbell and Jenny's friends in California, but he, he, I, he was the one who sent me the picture. We haven't met many of their California friends. They still lived. Actually, I'm not sure. We met them in 2012 when we went to um, Mayan holidays. Oh, cool. So yeah. I can't remember if they had moved to California yet or not. I don't know. 
Um, so, so yeah. Um, oh, I will say when I was 13 years old, I was, I had the opportunity to go to New Zealand and Australia. And it was a part of like this cultural education group called people to people student ambassadors. And every year they take different groups of students to two different countries for about three weeks. Um, and it's fun because it's not like family travel. You're in a big group of your peers with only a couple of chaperones. My group had 38, 13, 14 year olds with four adults. <laughs> right? <laughs> that sounds like mania. It was great fun. Um, so I guess that's where I got my international travel feet wet. So then after college, uh, I had no desire to go into a full-time job right away. I was having way too much fun doing what I was doing, partying with my friends and going to concerts and music festivals. So I did an internship that would allow me to continue doing that. I interned with Shimon Presents. That's the little company that would put together the work exchange team where you could volunteer for a couple of hours at a music festival in exchange for your ticket. So yeah, I spent the entire summer after I graduated traveling around, going to music festivals, uh, supervising the groups of volunteers, and then helping to promote smaller regional shows, mostly in Atlanta, because that's where Shimon Presents was based. And that's how I met Sasha. Sasha was a volunteer and I was supervising the volunteers. Um, but oh, that's cool. Yeah. So that's a fun little way when people always ask how we met. They, they for some reason, think that we met in China because we lived there for a while. Um, <laughs> but I'm like, no, we met at a music festival. And they're always like, Duh. oh, how perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Duh. <laughs> Where else would we That's meet? like Cambalonius the Great Bulge and Jenny met at Bonnaroo. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what happened after that? Oh, uh, I spent that entire summer seeing music, uh, met Sasha. He unfortunately already had plans to move to China. He had also just graduated, couldn't find a job. He didn't want to move back home. Uh, so he saw that a friend was teaching in China, hit him up, was like, what's up with this? And he put him in touch with a program director. And so he already had plans to move to China. But So was, this, was this to get, go there physically and teach language? To teach yes. English? Yes. So not he online, just actual, yeah. Right. He went there to physically teach English in person with a program, but it was part of a program where they bring you over, they provide your housing, they find you a job. They basically do everything for you. You just have to show up. Did, you uh, don't, he, did he have any, did he need any experience like speaking Mandarin or anything like that? No. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was, they, in China, they wanted all English classes to be full English immersion. They actually really yeah. didn't want teachers to use. It's still that way, right? Like most English teachers that I know that teach online, I feel like are. Yes, they, with they, the online, yeah. especially with like, you know, the, the most well-known companies like VIP Kid and GoGo Kid, they want it to be all English immersion because students are paying a premium for that. Yeah. And um, do you think that that actually helps develop the language learning process faster? It depends on how good the teacher is at the necessary teaching techniques like TPR. If a teacher is really good at conveying meaning without only using words, then yes. 
but it, it fully depends on the teacher. Yeah. And plus kids are different types of learners, of course, like I'm a very visual learner and I would need the teacher to be doing that. I also have a really hard time with language and even the English language. I was always scoring the lowest in my classes and vocabulary and spelling and understanding all. It's funny that I became a writer and I do stuff in the language world a lot, but I still to this day struggle with learning uh, languages. Really, it's really hard for me. Well, it's not for everyone. And and to be fair, the English language is really fucking hard. <laughs> like if we get down to the nitty gritty of it, like some things that I wind up teaching students, like today I was just teaching a lesson about modal verbs. And a lot of the questions are like, what is this in the positive and negative past form? And it's not like intuitive, it's not obvious. And so it's, it's really unfair, honestly. <laughs> I, and I every no time I teach this lesson, <laughs> I can see like my students like beating themselves up and feeling like down on themselves that they didn't know the answer. And I'm like, hey, no, this is hard. This is hard for native English speakers. You're doing great. So how did you, so he, you met him and he was going to move out there and you hadn't planned on it yet? Or you hadn't planned on going to China at all? No, was ne- that was never in my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> when he told me that he was about to move to China, I was like, Why? <laughs> That was my immediate reaction was, why would you want to do that? Um, but he, I was living in Atlanta at the time, and he, his last weekend in the States, uh, Umphreys and Soundtribe were playing two nights in a row in Atlanta. So um, we met at Rothbury, and we just had a quick five-minute conversation about how his last name sounds like a Russian vodka. I was sitting on a trampoline. We were, we have like... 50 mutual friends. What's his last name? Savinov. Oh, it does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the time, we had like 50 mutual friends, which is how we met. And all of these mutual friends were congregated. And we made a massive campsite at Rothbury. And there was a trampoline at the center of it. Um, So I was sitting on the trampoline. And Sasha hops up with a bag of wine. (laughs) Because he was trying to get people to slap the bag. Slap the bag. (laughs) What else do you do during your downtime at a music festival? Um, But I was quite literally seeing stars at the moment. So I didn't really remember the conversation, uh, but he did. And he asked my friend Roxy about me, who was with me on the trampoline. And she's like, oh, yeah, I don't (laughs) don't think she. Yeah, right. She's like, oh, I don't think she has a boyfriend. She's going to Camp Visco in two weeks. And so Sasha was like, sweet, so am I. So at that Camp Visco, I was actually a, a bit in need of saving, which is a different story entirely. But Sasha ended up being, I call him my Wook in shining armor. Um, <laughs> and at one point, we were walking to another stage. And all of a sudden, he just stops in his tracks gets down on one knee and proposes with a ring pop, but just says, <laughs> will you? And that's all he said, <laughs> which is a very open and intriguing question. Like, will you take my ring pop? Will you walk to the next stage with me? Will you dance with me? Well, yeah. Sure. I will take your ring pop, you know? And so, so that's how he caught my attention. Um, then I left that. We had a great time at that festival. And then at the end, I was like, oh, kind of like this guy. He's moving to China. Oh, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll see each other again someday. And then like a couple days later, maybe like a week later, he called me up and said, I'm looking at this flight to Atlanta. 
on this weekend, which was the weekend that Soundtribe and Unfreeze were playing. Unfreeze is his favorite band. Soundtribe is my favorite band. And we met with the Biscuits. Um, so he came to Atlanta and spent that last weekend with me in Atlanta, and then he moved to China. But he made a massive effort to keep in touch while he was there. We were always Skyping, emailing, and the whole time I was following his adventures. And that's where I finally got turned on to the idea of moving to China, was just following his adventures. He said that the only thing that would bring him back from China earlier than planned was if Fish got back together. Because Fish was not a band <laughs> when we met in 2008. And then sure enough, in the fall of 2008, yeah. just two months after he left, they announced their massive comeback. So we bought a bunch of fish tickets and made big plans for summer 2009. And so he, he came back after only 10 months in China, not a full year. And we spent the entire summer of 2009 living out of my car, tent, on friends' couches, basically just on tour the entire summer. That. That comeback tour for fish, interesting note also is I've only had two times in my life where I like did a blackout thing and left my car running somewhere. And before I went into that concert, they played in Knoxville on that comeback. That and was my first fish show. Yeah. So it was mine too, because they yeah. hadn't been around. Right. Right. And, um, I went and I, I thought I lost my car keys the whole time. And I was telling my, it was like bumming me out the whole night. Cause it's like, I don't know where my keys are. This really sucks. Like, and everyone's like, Oh, it's cool. You know, they're probably just in your, your pocket or something. And I'm like, they're not in my pocket. Not in my pocket. I, I thought I just dropped them somewhere, but I got back to the parking lot and they were in my car. My car was still running. It was like, <laughs> like out of that entire show, nobody ever like noticed you that car run in the parking lot was running. No, it was so close though. Wow. Yeah. And, and of course, one of the big transitions I've made and I've talked about a lot in my work is when I woke up with, you know, face down pants down in my garage, and my car was running in my front yard. So that's the, that's the first time I actually thought about the other time that it was still running. And that was that, was that fish show. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. That is crazy. <sighs> so you went on tour. We went on tour. Then you yeah. moved to China. Well, there, there were a couple of big things that happened in between. So we got to the end of that summer and you're riding on a huge high, you know, when you're just on the road, seeing music with your friends constantly, it's a huge high. And we got to the end of that summer, ran out of money. <laughs> Neither of us like had a plan for finding another job. I think Sasha had fully intended <laughs> on going back to China at the end of that summer. Um, but I was like, no, I got this degree. I want to try and use it for something. So he was nice and actually stuck around to let me try. Um, and I was like, I have a music business degree. We have to move to Nashville. Let's move to Nashville. We got a bunch of friends there in Murfreesboro. It'll be great. And if it doesn't work, I don't have far to go to get home. Johnson City. Um, but, but let's remember that this was in 2009. The last economic recession we had was really hitting the fan about this yeah. time. But I was naive enough to believe that because I had a degree in music business, I'd be fine. So I bought a pantsuit and went to Nashville and I walked all around Music Row on this really hot day in September, <laughs> handing out my resume. I remember how hot it was because I was wearing a pantsuit and Sasha was just casually dressed in a t-shirt and shorts and I was so jealous. <laughs> I was so hot. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, passed out my resume. And then that was like the start of like four months of just like constant disappointment. I did everything I was supposed to do. I passed out my resume. I volunteered at conferences. I paid to go to networking events. And then I finally got uh, uh, an interview for an entry-level assistant position at CMA, the mm, artist yeah. management group. Uh, and I ended up not getting the job because they gave it to someone who had held a higher position and had been laid off. And they wanted to give him the job because he had experience, even though it was an entry-level position. Um, and so- That's a tough time. Yeah. And in the meanwhile, I realized that this was going to take longer than I thought. So I looked for other work and we ended up living at our friend's house that was like right off MTSU's campus in Murfreesboro. They were all still in school. So it was a party house, which normally would have been fine, but I was trying to become an adult. So <laughs> I was a little annoyed by it. Um, and I ended up having to like work for free in this brand new restaurant in Murfreesboro just to get a position because times were that tough. Sasha managed to find a position teaching English to um, like immigrant students at MTSU. Uh, and he was he had classes for one month and they told him they were gonna give him classes the next month. And at the last minute they were like, nope, sorry, we don't have anything for you. Um, I did end up getting that job waiting tables, but then I was like supporting both of us on like a waitressing job, but we had to get food stamps to feed ourselves. We could barely afford the $200 a month. Our friends wanted to live in their attic. Like it really wasn't fun. It was a total shot to any self-confidence and self-worth that we had. We managed to scrape enough money together to see fish in Miami for New Year's, which was a big deal because we had to get all the way to Miami, but we made it work. <laughs> I it. love your priorities. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but while we were there, the house got broken into. My computer got stolen. Sasha's oh. guitar got stolen. A roommate's bass got stolen. Um, so that was shitty. Then like two or three weeks later, after we got back, my car got broken into. My GPS system got stolen. Um, and like, uh, to me, that felt like rock bottom. And I was like, this is awful. Get me the fuck out of here. Anywhere else is great. And Sasha's like, hey, you know, in China, people can't break into your place even if they want to. I was like, great, sounds good, let's go. <laughs> so we begged our parents to buy us flights and bought one-way flights to Beijing. Do you ever think about how none of this magical unfolding might have happened had you have gotten a comfortable position when you were walking around and handing your resumes out and had you have gotten something that you like somewhat liked enough to stay in it just as a, you know, People, I think it's like one of the biggest traps that anyone can get stuck in is this type of job that you feel okay with, but it doesn't make you feel miserable and you stay there your whole life. It's like, oh, this is okay. I, I, I kind of like this, but you never actually end up going down that sort of hero's journey path. And when you were telling that story, I was thinking like, you know, it's so funny how the universe was pushing you away from that, even though you probably really wanted it and you were trying so hard. I had a lot of op uh, things like that happen to me around that same time as well. So well, it's interesting that you say that because it is what I thought I wanted, but then at the same time, I think like maybe on a deeper subconscious level, I didn't really want that. I just needed to try. I needed to at least try yeah. to show to myself and everyone else that no, it in fact is not what I wanted because 
when I was going to those industry events, the conferences, everything, I realized that most of that part of the industry is a bunch of suits who don't care about the music. They just care about the bottom line that they're not there for the music, which is why <laughs> yeah. I was there. And I was like, I love live music. Like this is my passion in life. And I don't want to suddenly dislike it because it's, it's my work. So I kind of started to have this realization. And then I even remember like going into that interview with like a tinge of anxiety, like thinking, well, what if I do get this job? Then like the possibility of moving to China is off the table, at least for a couple of years, you know, like that thought was definitely in my head. And to be quite honest, when I got that rejection email, it wasn't the worst thing. Of course, like it sucks, like getting rejected. <laughs> it was almost like sucks. permission to be free. Yeah, right? exactly. Like I honestly felt a bit of relief, like, Ooh, okay, I tried, I did an interview. I got rejected. Okay. So what's next? That's yeah. And subconsciously, I do feel like you, without stating it out loud, things that we think deep down really can dictate stuff that happens in the physical world. And absolutely. I've, I've had a lot of yeah situations I've been in sort of like that, where deep down, I, I knew something wasn't really what I wanted, but I played the part that it was, and then it didn't work out because well, deep down, I didn't want it to work out. So therefore, you know, the world presented it that way. Mm -hmm. When you, uh, when you went to China and you moved there, what, I kind of have two parts to this. I'm curious as to what, what was the first time you were like, holy fuck, this is scary. Like just, did you have anything crazy happen to you just being new to that area? Um, and then also how did that progress into you yourself starting to get into online teaching of language or in-person teaching of language. And then ultimately now, I mean, a lot, a lot of your business is teaching others how to travel remotely and teach language, right? There, there's a, a, so much opportunity in this. And I have a, quite a bit of friends who actually do this. Uh, I think you might know one of my friends, Jason Kane, do you know him? Yeah. 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 We, yeah. I've talked to him a lot. Yeah. He's doing it like a maniac. And uh, I, I was in Spain with him for a little bit. We went to Bulgaria and Romania together. Nice. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's something that I've also in my journey of, of guiding people to be creative and to explore the unknown. I don't always have the answer on like what they should be doing to make money, but I do know that I've always thought like, well, <laughs> there's this avenue and, and it's, and it's actually pretty purposeful and it can lead to other things. Right. And so I, I've, I've considered, I share it a lot with other people. Like this is an idea, but from your perspective, I don't think I know anyone who's done this at quite the success level as you, and you've been able to sort of build this, this, uh, platform to help other people do it as well. So I'm just, I'm curious as to how that all unfolded in front of you over the, over the years. Okay. Well, to answer your, the first part of your question, I never really felt scared moving to China just because I was going from such an uncomfortable, undesirable situation that anything was going to be better. <laughs> yeah. I was honestly really excited. But that being said, I was in a very fortunate position to move to Beijing with an incredible network already set up for me because Sasha had already lived there. He had already forged relationships with people. He already had a group of friends, most of whom were still there. So That's I was cool. able to, yeah, I was able to step into a group of friends. We stayed with one of those friends right off the bat. So like we 
got there and got to go straight to an apartment with like his, the, the guy who was his roommate when he lived in Beijing. Um, and I also and had was, a job before I even left. And he was essentially your Wook in shining armor. So that was comforting too. <laughs> Still, he, he has not left that role. <laughs> <laughs> He's still my Wook in shining armor. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, so. so yeah, I had a job lined up before I even got there and it was the cushiest job ever. Um, that was another very fortunate position for me to be in. Sasha already knew the jobs, the classified sites for finding English teaching jobs and knew how to navigate them. So my first job was a private tutor to a rich family who lived out in the suburbs. They had two daughters, which at the time was still against the rules. Um, they lived in a huge oh, house. Oh, you're right. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's so crazy a, to think about that stuff. I know. Their daughters went to a private American school where all of their classes were in English. And I was their private tutor, but I was really a glorified babysitter. Um, I, had, I lived in an apartment like really near the center of Beijing. Their private driver would pick me up from my center apartment and drive me out to their four-story house that had an elevator and i would tutor the older what? daughter yeah <laughs> it had an elevator and the entire basement of the house was basically just a full-on spa with massage tables and saunas and steam rooms and extra bathrooms it's yeah it was like it was pulled right out of beverly hills wow. um yeah so i would tutor the older daughter for a couple hours then they would feed me dinner then I would tutor the younger daughter for an hour and then their private driver would drive me back to my central apartment in Beijing and they paid me in cash at the end of every week. Wow. Yeah. So it was almost like, this is where you're supposed to be. It's like one of those things where it was like, everything was almost too easy. Yeah. I mean, it, you, you kind of got over the, the hump and then you get there and, and it, it's the universe's way of saying like, yeah, this, you are exactly where you should be, you know? Right. But I'll be honest, that feeling didn't last for that long because I did eventually, I knew that like, they weren't going to want me to tutor them in the summer. So I needed to find other work. So, um, I went and interviewed for this kindergarten physician that was super part-time. It was only going to be like two days a week. Um, and I had never really done much classroom teaching before I moved to China. I did a little bit of like group tutoring in Nashville before we left, just so I could have something to put on my resume, but that's it. <laughs> so I had to do this demo for this kindergarten position, having never taught a classroom ever. Like, did you and, have to do it in person? Yeah, I had to do it in person to an actual huge class of like 35-year-old Chinese kids, none of whom could speak English, you know, because they're five. And it was awful it was so bad i spoke <laughs> way too quickly i was really nervous i was shaking and then so i was speaking too fast like i did everything wrong and then when i was finished i just all the kids were just staring at me with like big wide scared eyes like i have no idea what this woman just said and afterwards the principal of the school said to the agent who had recruited me this teacher is no good can you please find another one and the agent went to bat for me. She's like, she's here now. She wants the job. I'm sure she'll get better if you just give her a chance. Wow. And that's how I got my first job in a school. That worked <laughs> out. 
the agent wanted her commission. <laughs> She's like, just, <laughs> just let her have the job. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't, yeah. I don't know how, I guess any situation that I've ever encountered myself, you can't really always see how it's going to work out, but I get pretty nervous in front of classes too. And like thinking about you talking to all those children, I, I've done a little bit of teaching with the kids in Africa at the school I work with out there. And uh, of course, standing in front of large groups of people at all always makes me nervous, but it's funny that it, it still worked out for you. Like it, it, it was harsh, but you, you stood it in there, harsh. right? <laughs> <laughs> it was harsh, but it was just another one of those things, like this constant reminder of you absolutely have to get out of your comfort zone if you ever want to grow. Yeah. Yeah. That's op absolute, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was, that was the beginning of my time in Beijing. And, and, you know, we, as I said, we moved out of such a terribly undesirable situation. We were really broke when we got to Beijing. Like our parents were nice enough to buy our flights and we had just a little bit of like, just enough money to like feed ourselves and kind of get set up. Um, and, and we, we started at the bottom and we just worked our way up not necessarily in like job positions, but just like in our stature, just as people <laughs> in life. Yeah. Um, we did eventually find really good jobs at a corporate training center called Wall Street English. And that's where I got all of the best training for how to be a good teacher. Um, and they had, like it was a corporate job, but there were a lot of good things about it. All of the traveling we ever did, we got paid for because we were able to like manipulate our schedule in a way where we didn't actually have to take time off. Um, and so that's how we got bit by the travel bug was just having all of this time to do all of this traveling, but we could never go for longer than two weeks at a time, which we kind of started to get annoyed with because uh, we like to come back to the U S in the summer and see fish and music festivals and, you know, do our thing. Yeah. And with these corporate jobs, that wasn't possible. Uh, so we put up with it for like two years um on one vacation we took we went to bali and while we were sitting there it was towards the end of our time in on that vacation sasha looked at me and he's like why are we going back to beijing i don't i don't want to leave i like it here why are we going back and i'm like well we have a nice apartment and full-time jobs and a life in beijing and he was like well what if we didn't have those things what if we just you know quit our jobs and traveled and I had built oh, this. Dun, dun, dun. I know. I had built this really nice lifestyle for myself in Beijing where I had a great work schedule. I had a great group of friends. It was lots of happy hours and spa visits and all of these wonderful things. And so my immediate reaction was no. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? Because I went to China with this idea that I was going to get work experience in China and then go back to the States and get like a full-time lower management position or something like that. That's yeah. really what I thought my life was going to be like. Um, and so when Sasha presented that, I was like, no, wow, why would you want to do that? Um, but my last name is Story, and I love to tell a good story. And so the more I thought about it, I was like, well, if we did just travel full-time, that would be a really cool story to tell people. So at first I was like, okay, six months, we can do six months. And then I thought about it a little bit more and I was like, well, if you're going to do six months, you might as well go big or go home and do the full year. 
So that's what we did. We um, kind of set a budget for ourselves uh, and, and really focused on that and saved up money. Then we put in our notices at Wall Street English and packed up our apartment in Beijing uh, and hit the road. And we managed to travel for 14 months straight during that gap year. How much, how much money do you think your budget was per month traveling just like on a whim? I'm sure you probably didn't save up too much money before you did this. So. Well, no, I know. We saved up $25,000. We have a blog post about it. Oh, okay. So you saved up $25,000. And did you have to figure out ways to make money while you were throughout that year as well? Or was that a plan to, to sustain you throughout the whole year, if possible? That was the plan. That savings was meant to sustain us throughout the whole year. But Sasha was already writing freelance blog posts. So Sasha was already earning money online as a freelancer, but it wasn't much. It was just, you know, a couple hundred yeah. bucks a month. So so that definitely helped. Uh, uh, the biggest portion of that 14 months was spent in Southeast Asia, where your dollar goes a lot further. Yeah. So our budget was like $1,000 to $1,500 per month. And we would spend 30 days in each country, with the exception of Indonesia, where we spent 45 days. Um, so that budget was easy to stick to. And then Sasha's freelance writing kind of helped keep us afloat. But then eventually we did run out of money, but we knew that was going to happen. So before we left Beijing and really hit the road, we moved all of our things to Kunming because one of my friends from App State lived in Kunming and he did everything he could to convince us to move there. And we went to where, visit. Where is that? Kunming is the capital of Yunnan province, and that's down in mm. southwest China. And it borders Laos, uh, Myanmar, Tibet. And so it has way more of a Southeast Asian vibe than a Chinese vibe. Like lots of Chinese people there have dreadlocks. They like to smoke weed. They like music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so, cool. <laughs> totally. Right up our alley. Uh, when I told my friend Sean, who was living there, that I was moving to Beijing, he was like, no, just skip Beijing and come to Kunming and started sending me photos. And I'm like, okay, that looks awesome. I'm going to go to Beijing first, but I will come check out Kunming. So we went on one of our vacations, had a great time, and we were like, okay, sweet, we're moving here. And so that's kind of how like the gap year split up our time in Beijing between uh, living in Beijing and moving to Kunming. So wow. we moved our stuff there before we left Beijing. And so that's where we landed when our gap year finished once we ran out of money. And I just already had so much experience teaching English in schools, I was able to get another job like that once we got settled into Kunming. And so then I imagine because of his experience doing freelance blogging, you all had the idea to start putting together your blog. Precisely. We launched Grateful Gypsies at the beginning of our gap year trip. And because Sasha already had so much experience writing WordPress blogs, we launched Grateful Gypsies as a way to keep our family up on what we were doing and share fo sharing photos and things like that. And we tried to blog about every single place we went to and we like at least the Southeast Asia portion. And by the time we finished our gap year and had moved into Kunming, we had only finished writing about the first two months of the trip. <laughs> <laughs> so we knew very quickly that that kind of blogging wasn't going to work for us. Yeah. When, when did you find, at what point did you think you got the blog to actually start helping financial contribution to your 
your lifestyle where it was like, wow, this could actually become something that helps sustain us? Well, so when we launched it in 2013, that's kind of when travel blogs were starting to get a lot of publicity as a way to make money. So we already knew that it was possible for it to be a business, but that was not our focus at all when we were doing our gap year because we had money saved. We had big plans and lots of places we wanted to go and things to do. We moved so fast through that trip, like looking back on it, it, like I'm like, wow, how did we even do that? The whole time we were in Southeast Asia, the longest we stayed in a place was seven days. And we only did that twice. The longest? Mm -hmm. That was the longest. That's such a, it's so hard to do too. Like moving that quick is so hard. Everywhere else was like two days, three days, four days, lots of buses, lots of trains. We didn't take a single flight during that Southeast Asia portion of the trip, except for when we flew from Thailand to Myanmar. So we went from Vietnam, Cambodia to Laos into North Thailand, all over land. Wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That's cool. That's an adventure though. I mean. Oh yeah. It was great fun because we wanted to see it all, right? Yeah. We had to see everything and we couldn't backtrack. Well, yeah. I mean, that was was the mindset (laughs) in our late twenties. It's a bit different now. Backtracking is totally acceptable. (laughs) FYI. Um, but that's, that's how we felt at the time. Um, so, so yeah, we had the blog by the time we got to Kunming. Sasha had amassed so much freelance blogging work from the uh, language. Uh, he was blogging for Transparent Language, which is a company that designs language learning software, similar to Rosetta Stone, but they use their extra advertising budget to pay, to pay bloggers to write fun blog posts about the different countries to inspire people to learn the language. Mm. So Sasha had amassed so much writing work because every, well, not every, but several of the countries we went to, he would tell them, oh, I have content. I can write about this country. Can I contribute to this country's blog? They'd be like, yeah, sure. So he had so much freelance work that he didn't get a teaching job right away. And eventually he only got a teaching job because he was bored. (laughs) tired of being home alone all the time. Wow. Yeah. But that's when I was like, well, Sasha's already making money online. I want to make money online too. Uh, And so while we were in Kunming, we redesigned our blog and started trying to make plans for how we could make traveling more sustainable so that we could do it for longer periods of time and not this like binge and purge method of saving up a bunch of money and then quitting and then going to travel and then running out of money and, and just repeating that process. That's, that's not sustainable. So I was like, well, we have this blog, we can make money doing that. Let's do that. Uh, but I was working in a school, so I didn't really have time to, uh, put towards the blog. Um, but what we did do was Sasha applied to this, um, cultural immersion program that is offered by the, um, in Indonesia. They have it at several different universities throughout Indonesia, but we really wanted to go to Bali. And so Sasha put a lot of effort into making his application and his letter absolutely perfect and he got accepted. So that's kind of what got us out of this comfortable bubble that we had created for ourselves in China. It's the same bubble that you were referring to earlier. What happens? You get this job. You're like, I kind of like this. It works. I'll stay. We created that for ourselves in China. 
And so it was this him getting accepted into this program in Bali that pulled us out of that comfortable bubble in China. Uh, he was going to be a student, which meant that he would get a student visa, which is essentially a residence permit in Indonesia. Um, and they actually have really strict requirements for foreigners working there, especially in Bali, because come on, it, if people could easily find a job in Bali, they would. So they make it really hard for people to do. And the um, ESL teaching industry just doesn't pay as well in Bali as it does in China for a multitude of reasons. Um, but I kind of realized very quickly that that didn't really make sense for me to teach English in Bali. Um, but we kind of managed to save a decent chunk of money during the time we were in Kunming because we went back to working lots and getting multiple part-time jobs and sticking to a budget and saving money because we knew that we were going to hit the road again when we left Kunming. We didn't know where we were going, but we knew that's what we were doing. So Sasha was actually meant to be an accountant. I'm sure that was his true calling in life because he is amazing <laughs> with numbers. He's amazing with counting money and keeping it and knowing where it goes and where it comes from. And all of these things that just give me a headache. Me, I'm like, I have money, I'm gonna spend it. <laughs> <laughs> so he worked out a budget where if we lived like locals in Bali, um, we could live off of our savings and his freelance writing work. And so that's when I was like, okay, we're moving to Bali. I'm not gonna work. I am going to figure out how to turn our blog into a business. And that's when I was finally able to turn my full-time focus to the blog. How much time did it take you to get it to where it started churning? Well, so during that time in Bali, we had 20 visitors. We were constantly playing host and tour guide, which is great. We <laughs> love that. But I didn't really have that much time to work on the blog in the end. And it was still just this like side thing that we did when we had time. Uh, from Bali, we went back to the States but we still had some money saved because Sasha's a whiz with money. And so we planned another massive summer similar to 2009. Lots of fish shows, music festivals, time on the road. Uh, and it what year is until, it? This, is, this brings us up to 2016. Okay. So we got married in the summer of 2015. Sasha proposed at Fish New Year's in Miami, by the way. I was so there. We, <laughs> really? In Miami in 2014? Yeah. Oh, wait, no, no, no. I was at the one in 20. Actually, it might've been 2014. Yeah. Yeah. They've only done two. It was like the first time they did the 3.0. one. 3.0. So they did 2009 New Year's in Miami and then 2014. 2014 was it then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Three so nights in that big arena. Four. The first four was nights. New Year's Yeah. Two. Okay. But I was, I only went to, I only went ah, to three okay. of the four. Yeah. And, and the, the first one was New Year's Eve. I just remember that the, uh, was it the biscuits or someone was playing late night after fish. It was, oh, some, yeah. it was, uh, it was members of the biscuits. It was like yeah. electron or something like yeah, that. Electro, it might've been electron. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> cool oh, we were there. <laughs> we, we were there too. I was there. <laughs> Wild. Funny. We were like overlapping each other so many times throughout these years and didn't even know it. I know. Um, so yeah, we got married at fish in 2014, married in 2015. And then in later in 2015 was when we moved to Bali. 
And then 2016 was when we moved back to the States. And that's when I, it was at the end of 2016 where I really got serious about the blog and bought a premium theme. And really I was like, okay, this is it. I'm focusing all my effort and energy on the blog, but I, sk <laughs> I skipped an important piece. I found VIP kid at the end of our time in Bali. So that's when I finally started earning money online. Yeah, that, okay. So this is what keeps popping in my head was, did you get married at the fish show in Miami? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like- Although that would have been like, cool. I feel like I probably would have remembered or I, I probably did. Someone probably did get married there, but- Oh, I'm sure uh, they did. Like, was I at your wedding? You know, like, <laughs> was I actually there? <laughs> no, we got married in summer 2015. Okay, cool. So then you, you get VIP kid and that's how you start bringing in income. And then you, you figure out how it's working and then you start teaching other people how to do this as well. Yes. So, so let me kind of condense my storytelling a bit. Found VIP kid at the end of my time in Bali, went back to the States and we were there for all of 2016. Uh, but we started to run out of money because we kept going to concerts and music festivals. Uh, so we, <laughs> we hightailed it down to Mexico. We got to a point where we couldn't even afford a flight. So we busted into Mexico. We saw the biscuits for New Year's in 2016, then took the mega bus to New Orleans, hung out for a couple days, took the mega bus to Austin, hung out for a couple days, and then took the bus into Mexico, at which point getting a flight was way cheaper. So uh, we wind up here in Puerto Vallarta. We tried to have that same travel pace as we did on our gap year. And we got burned out real fast because you, you can't travel at that speed when you're actually working online. No way. Uh, so we finally yeah. got here to Puerto Vallarta and we were already burned out after only a month back on the road. Or was it? Yeah, only a month. So... Uh, I was really struggling with how to niche down the blog because at the time it was just a general travel blog. And so that's, that's when I joined Location Indie. Uh, this was in 2017 and Travis and Jason teach, uh, like, what are you good at? What are your skills? You know, focus on that. And I would think, I mean, I just teach English. Like, that's not like my passion in life. It's just like what I do. And one day I finally said it out loud. I was like, I just teach English so I can travel. And then I was like, that's it. Teach English. <laughs> it was right to in travel. front of you the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's when I had that light bulb moment in 2017 uh, to teach people how to teach English for the purpose of moving abroad or traveling full time. And thus, Grateful Gypsies was reinvented. Yes, exactly. That's, that's really, that's amazing. I, I mean, I, I, I appreciate you sharing all of that. I like hearing the backstory and how it progressed. It's like, you didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm starting this blog. And then it started working for you. Like that was an Absolutely eight year not. process or whatever. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, what do you think? What do you think the hardest part of that entire journey was? Was there any time that was like, you almost just bailed? And then also what, what has been the best aspect of it? The hardest part for me is imposter syndrome, the constant like imposter syndrome and self-doubt that I feel of like, why would anyone listen to me? Like, what do I have <laughs> to offer? 
um, I'm no one special kind of thing. Uh, I'm also a Pisces and Pisces, we're really sensitive and we do this thing where we're constantly second guessing ourselves and we overthink absolutely everything. Uh, so that for me has been the hardest thing, which is just me standing in my own way. Like there's nothing else that, that yeah. held me back from, from getting to this point, but myself. Um, and, and so to that point, the most rewarding thing has been doing it scared, which is kind of this concept that I've adopted. It's just do it scared. Yes. You're going to be scared. You're going to feel fear doing anything new and unfamiliar is scary, but you have to do it anyways because the rewards that you feel from actually doing it and doing it well and realizing that it was just you standing in your own way, like that's one of the best feelings ever. Yeah. When you overcome the great forces of resistance and slap your meat stick on its face, Precisely. you realize you have one light. Well, <laughs> I, yeah, all of it, all of it's so beautiful. I mean, I imagine that that resistance is sort of the feeling of, you know, see the city, see the zoo traffic lights won't fucking let me through. I'm going to figure this out, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to get to that show. I'm going to get into that park. I'm going to get on that journey. Mm -hmm. And it is really about heavy, heavy commitment to action, no matter what the outcome is and quitting, you know, stop stopping the comparison of, of us to other people, because that, I think a lot of that for me is imposter syndrome is where it stems from is I'm looking at other people around me doing things. And I'm like, Oh, well, who am I? Cause these people are obviously way more qualified or they've studied a lot more or they've made more money doing this or whatever bullshit mm -hmm. I feed myself. And then you realize like, Oh, actually the only fairness to comparison is the comparison of yourself to yourself yesterday. And, um, never to somebody today, right. Never right. to somebody else at any time period, because everyone has different circumstances and, and places that they spawn from and experiences and layers that have been slapped upon them and meat sticks that have been pushed all in and around their mouths and all these erotic directions that might have so stemmed from Cambalonius's massive bulge that you didn't even know was coming at you when you were sleeping passed out in new Orleans next to a, a trash can on the floor by a bed, uh, after jazz fest. So hundred percent. <laughs> I'm, I, 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 I don't know if you answer, I guess, did you, did you talk about the, uh, the best part, like what the best aspect of this journey has been? The rewards, like okay. the, the person that I've become on the other side. Right. Um, because, you know, even like as early as recently, like as a year and a half ago, I was still dealing with massive imposter syndrome and self-doubt. And I feel like only now am I figuring out like how to deal with it and push past it. And just the rewarding feeling of like feeling like I'm finally like on the other side is it's great. Yeah. And, and really you, you're doing something creative that is helping other people learn how to explore and be creative themselves. And that's priceless. Like the abundance that comes around from that, whether monetary or not is going to be super effective and, uh, more people that are out traveling, the more people that are getting real education in my, in my point of view, like the only real form of true gritty, deep, dark, hard, harsh, loving, light, infinite education is travel. I mean, right. and <clears throat> being in positions in my life before where I was like, there's no way I'll ever be able to afford that. There's no way I could ever go out of the country. Like I'm, I'm never going to be able to do any of this stuff. Uh, 
making those micro decisions to, to push myself into those directions. And then eventually you do end up traveling, whether it's over the border to Tijuana or into Canada, like you have to take that first step. Maybe it's just mm-hmm. over to the next County that you live in. Cause there's mm-hmm. so many people I meet that have never even left their counties because right. there's this fear of what's on the other side. It's us versus them, but you'll find out really quick. The more you explore that, the other side is where you want to be. And that's where all the magic happens. And that's when you meet the people that you love that will surround you and support you on your mission and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So that's really cool to hear. And how many people do you think have, uh, I guess it's probably hard to like encounter that, but I imagine, I imagine thousands of people have come through like learning from what you're doing and, and putting it into action, whether it's a small percentage of those who actually carry through with it or not. Uh, your impact has been quite great or great. Well, thank you. I mean, I hope so. And, (laughs) but I think like, I am only just starting to realize that like now, like only in like the last two weeks is, is the massive impact because here's the thing about working online. It like, you're just putting things into the void of the internet and you have no idea how they're received by people and what effect they have. The only way you ever know is if that person actually comes back to tell you. But I had that moment recently. It was like two weeks ago. Um, Last year, Jason Moore had me on his podcast, Zero to Travel, to talk about teaching English online as a means to travel abroad. And just two weeks ago, oh, I might cry. (laughs) Just two weeks ago, I got the most amazing email from a girl uh, who heard that podcast interview and she she responded to my weekly newsletter last week and she starts out her email by saying I have been meaning to contact you but I didn't quite know how but in short you changed my life and that's how she started her entire email and she goes on to tell me this story about how she started traveling at a relatively young age and would do work away and things like that to sustain her travels But then she got to Portugal and met someone and started dating them seriously. And it's really hard to stay in Portugal. You have to have a full-time job. So she got a full-time job at a coffee shop. And while it did a lot of great things for her and helped her grow and improved her skills in the Portuguese language, she felt a lot of pushback from the locals. They were mean to her. They gave her a hard time about her accent. She didn't feel very accepted. she wrote about how the minimum wage in Portugal is really low. And while her job paid her more than minimum wage, she still got to the end of every month, stressed about being able to make ends meet. She got to a point where she was scared to go to work, but didn't know how to leave Portugal and just felt stuck. And one day on her train to work, she listened to my interview on Zero to Travel and got really stoked about the idea of teaching English online went to work, said she listened to my interview again on her way home from work, felt really excited about the possibility and said that it represented a life of freedom to her. And she even went home and told her partner about it. And within a week had a job on one of the platforms that I recommend and was earning $2,500 to $3,000 a month teaching English online. And then in December, when her partner wanted to go to film school, she was very easily able to move from Portugal to England. No problem, no interruption in her work. And so it's like the best email I've ever gotten. (laughs) That's cool. I mean, you're right about the creating online. You are putting things into a void and you really don't know, like it could be crickets for a long time. And 
I, I have it happen, you know, and then all of a sudden someone will come out of nowhere and, and send me an incredible email or meet up with met up with this incredible woman who started a nonprofit from using one of my journaling systems from a few years ago. And, um, I met her with her in Nashville and had lunch in Franklin actually. And she just told me her story and it was like the most moving form of abundance ever way more so to me than any sort of monetary comp compensation. And like that's, that's why you create, that's why you do it. Yeah. And, and, and everyone out there who is creative, like you don't, you don't ever have to have an expectation of where it's going to go, but know that the right people will find what you're doing when they need it. And it is helping people, whether or not you're hearing feedback or not. Um, totally. And yeah, I, I just, I know that what you're doing is affecting people. And I, and I know that it's a really feasible way for people to actually make a money while traveling. So if anyone wants to get in touch with you, I will link to your website as well. Um, but it, what, is there anywhere in particular that, that they can do that? And I think you're on Instagram and all of that good stuff too, right? Yeah, totally. So the blog is gratefulgypsies.com. And if anyone is specifically interested in teaching English online, I've got a couple of free resources. I have an ebook called How to Live Abroad and Travel the World as an Online English Teacher. And that's a really good starting point. Uh, then uh, if you want a little bit more, I have a free masterclass that's called How to Teach English Online, Even with No Classroom Experience. Uh, so those two are very specific for teaching English online. Those, those can both be found from our homepage. Then we are on Instagram as Grateful Gypsies. We also have a YouTube channel, also Grateful Gypsies. Sasha actually has a degree in video editing. And so I personally think he's a great videographer and we've got some pretty cool videos, but I'm biased, I'll admit. Um, then we're also, we also have a Facebook page and, um, yeah, that's it. Incredible. Yeah. I will link to all that in, in, he sounds like quite the Wilkin shining armor with lots of different skill sets. And so maybe next time we can both ping pong through this and, and we'll get to do it in person, right? Like let's just yes. meet up at a show. Next or, time we're doing this in person. There's a place called space and it's got the magic. There's a place called space and it's got the balls. There's a place called space and it's got the passion. There's a place called space where we can smash the walls. There's a place called space where we'll face fuck conformity and the chatter of incompetence is slaughtered at birth. In this place called space, we'll build a factory of smiles that will assemble with our minds and sell to earth. little boys out there, you little boys traveling around in your vans, getting all fancy in your vans, little little boys out there, and little, little girls just doing your little cartwheels out in the world, just spreading your little seeds all over the place, and, and all you little, you little mixes, and, and uh, mixing your little, your sexual energies together, man, that's some kinky shit, man. Yeah, that's some real kinky shit. Oh, if you want to get all the show notes for this show, just go to heatharmstrong.com and also just 
Follow Heath on Instagram at Heath Fist Pumps. Although we're trying to change his handle to just Heath Fists because it's a little bit more relevant. But until next time, ta-ta, toots. Ooh.